Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. We began last Sunday a series on what I'm calling emotional health. And Patrick has great titles. I'm just impressed by him. I always, I, I just never had great titles for my sermon. It was like Ephesians 4 today. <laughs> it's just hard to get excited about that, isn't it? You just, okay, I guess next week will be Ephesians 5. <laughs> uh, so Patrick came up with this great title. He says, The Struggle is Real, which is kind of says a lot and yet it's mysterious, intriguing, and you wonder what will all this be about. So I'm, I'm thankful for Patrick. Last Sunday, Dale Hawley gave a great introduction, and if you haven't heard that, please uh, go and listen to that. He helped us to see that throughout the Bible, even heroes of the faith struggle with a great range of emotions. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane cried out, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Now that's something you could just soak in for a while and wonder and ponder and and think about that Jesus is, 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 is overwhelmed with grief and to some extent feels death within it. And not to compare ourselves with Jesus suffering, but some of us, some of you have felt that at times, that there has just been, you have been overwhelmed with sorrow and perhaps felt a bit of death within you. The topics related to mental health are difficult to address, and it's sort of, uh, <laughs> we've wrestled a lot with, should we have a series on Sunday mornings during the sermons, and how long they should be, and should we go for six weeks or 20 weeks? And we decided on six weeks would probably be enough. Uh, so, but it's difficult because how much, how much do you say in a, in a mixed audience, different kind of ages, and it's sort of like it's, uh, it's easy. I can imagine people saying uh, TMI, you know, Here, here's what I want to know. Here's how much you're telling me. And, and so, we're, we're trying to thread this needle of, of acknowledging challenges and addressing them uh, with not getting the focus of all, everything on those. Secondly, there's a diversity of opinion about the amount, the percentage that we should speak. Uh, how much help should we seek from different sources? Uh, is it all the Lord? Is it mostly modern medicine or counseling or community? How do those all fit together? And my answer is yes. Yes. It's all of them. That God, we seek help from God and all the resources that God, God provides through others. And then the third thing that makes all this challenging, and, and I just want to qualify and let you know that I know that uh, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, I did practice veterinary medicine, <laughs> which I'm not sure gives me much cred. Uh, hope this isn't overly insensitive, but as a rural veterinarian, you know, we just weren't very concerned about what any particular cow, how they felt that particular day. Uh, if you're upset that I said that, talk to me later. 
But I do know a few things about God and people and the realities of life, and so we're going to go with that. This morning I want to, us to consider the challenges and realities of being depressed, of depression. And if you've watched TV and you're aware, you, you just know it's, it's, it's all over the place in our culture. So I want, we wanted to talk about it. And first of all, we're going to work out of a text in Psalm for, Psalms 42 and 43. We'll have it on the screen or you can turn in your Bible or your app and, and follow along, all those sort of things. So we'll have resources for that. But in Psalm 42 and 43, often as in the Psalms, what you find is a record of someone's faith journey. And sometimes it will begin with a great statement of faith, and then kind of this rough, bumpy road, and then a great statement at the end. Uh, in this Psalm, it begins with this great thirst for God. And we have a song that we have sang, we sing about, as the deer pants for streams of water. So, this imagery of this deer out uh, perhaps fleeing a hunter or running and, and is, is just so thirsty. And some of us have, if we've been in athletics or other kind of endeavors or maybe you've been on a long hike, you, you know this, this point where it, it, you just, water is so good, right? It's amazing how good just cold water and refreshing it is and how you long for that. And so, this psalmist is, is helping us to envision that. And then he says, my soul is just like that. As, as a person, as an animal would long for cool water, that's how my soul is inside. I have this panting, this thirst for you, God. My God, I long for that. My soul, my internal life thirsts for God, for the living God. And then this sort of uns this, uh, question that may indicate that he feels like he's far from God. When can I go and meet with God? When could that be? Perhaps he's not feeling close to God. He goes on to describe the depths of this depression. My tears have been my food day and night. So there's been this mourning, this grief, this agony that's gone on through the day and through the night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? Later on we'll see there's apparently enemies. And so there is this mocking going on. And they're saying, you know, where, where's God? You know, how's God helping you on this thing? How's your God doing? Our gods are doing fine. How's your God? Where's your God? Well, that would be particularly difficult if your God seems not to be doing anything. Then there's remembrance. He remembers the good old days. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. See how that internal life is affected. And he remembers how I used to go to the house of God. Perhaps this is a temple in Jerusalem and he's far up north. And he says, under the protection of the mighty one, how uh, the Jewish people used to go on these great pilgrimages of like three times a year down to Jerusalem. And uh, under the protection of the mighty one, and they would go shouts of joy and shouts of praise. And they would go down towards Jerusalem out of the hills. And then they would come up to the temple among the festive throng. But it's not like that anymore. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you in despair? 
Why, why are you so disturbed within me? So these, these internal questionings that we often have within us and, and sometimes, uh, for myself personally, sometimes I, I don't know why I'm depressed. <laughs> I, uh, sometimes I just have gotten up in the morning and thought to myself, well, I wonder what you're going to be depressed about today. <laughs> I wonder what you're going to be angry about today because something's going to upset you. And so, you know, it, it could be almost anything that sets you off. And so, uh, sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. And then there is this self-talk and, and he says, self, put your hope in God, for yet I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Isn't that a great narrative? Isn't that a great story? So, there's this agony, there's questions, there's crisis, but then there's this fantastic resolution. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? So, we just kind of, we could end there, right? I mean, the person has come to resolution. And yet, and yet, my soul is downcast within me. Cycle, second cycle begins. Therefore, I will remember you, again, the remembering, now from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from uh, uh, Mount Mazar, that's way up north. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. It's hard to tell if that's imagery that's beautiful and wonderful, except that he says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. In other words, God, you've had your part in this, or maybe primarily, and uh, my relationship with you has just, it's left me undone. Your breakers and waves have swept over me. But then there's, but... By day the Lord directs His love, and at night His song was with me. So, you see this back and forth? Back and forth. God, You're punishing me, and yet Your love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. And at night Your song is with me, and I have a prayer to the God of my life. But, I say to God my rock, why have You forgotten me? ever been that way? I mean, you're just mixed up and, you know, one moment you're here, one moment you're there, one moment you're back again, and on and on and on. Why must I go on mourning? Notice all the why questions. Oppressed by the enemy. Here's where we uh, discover that there's some kind of, sort of enemy uh, against him. My bones suffer mortal agony. My foes taunt me. Don't know if the bones is literal or figurative here. Saying to me all day long, here again, where is your God? And you may be wondering that. This person might have been wondering that, was wondering that. Where is God in all this? What about other sources and what about other gods that might help? And my God doesn't seem to be doing anything. And yet it comes to resolution again. Uh, the question is, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? You need to hope in God. Self, and I will praise Him my Savior, and my God. And so the psalm ends. And yet, scholars think that 42 and 43 were once one because the story is the same and the ending is the same and the refrains are the same. So, we're going to continue. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. So, here are the circumstances, enemies. He prays for help. You are my God, my stronghold. 
So this affirmation of what God is like and what He can do and the remembrance of who God is, but the questions, why have you rejected me? Based on circumstances. <clears throat> why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Prayer again of request. Send me your light, your faithful care. Lead the, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. So this prayer of request. And then a promise. Have you ever made promises to God? Uh, I have uh, often. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my joy and delight. I will praise you with the lyre and, O oh God, my God. And then the refrain again, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise Him, my Savior and my God. So it ends with this internal wrestling and a resolution. Or is it? Or does it just keep going on and on? Could there be Psalm 44 or 45 and it just goes on? Psalms are kind of like this actually. So, some reflections on this. Uh, first of all, and Dale made a great point of this and I just want to highlight it again. Being downcast or in despair is a common experience of godly people. It is a common experience of godly people people. Concerning the salvation of many of his fellow Jews, Paul the one who urges us to rejoice in the Lord always. I've always had a hard time with that one. It's like, yeah, you could have left off always. It's like always? What, is, what does always mean? It seems like always means always. But and yet, Paul the one who says that speaks later. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, not making this up. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed. Wow, what a statement. I don't know if I've ever thought that. And cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That doesn't sound very joyful. Therefore, it would seem that always being joyful does not mean always being perky. Being depressed while possibly being the result of a spiritual struggle could be, does not necessarily mean that one is cut off from God or deeply unspiritual, even if one feels that way. Here's what it means, and I want you to hear this. Being depressed means you are human. And you have not yet seen Jesus face to face yet. When you see Jesus face to face, you will never be depressed again. Amen? Amen? I might say that again to get you in with me here. When you see Jesus face to face, you will never be depressed again. Uh, I suspect I'm going to be depressed. I started to say on my deathbed, but I actually think I'll be pretty happy that day. But 
because I thought it would make descent. In one sense, it would make sense, right? You're about to die and you'd be depressed, right? But then I thought, no. I, I, now, if I'm in a nursing home for 10 years, I'll be depressed. So when you come to see me, don't say, why are you depressed? I would say, you know, come lay on the bed with me for a while and we'll see why I'm depressed. Maybe you'll get it if you don't understand it. <clears throat> Secondly, depression and other emotional challenges, and there's a whole range with them, do not necessarily go completely away. They tend to go in these cycles, which we saw in the Psalms, in which we are better at times and then we go back to a bad place. I'm in a much better place than I was 20 years ago. It helps to get a job with less stress and retire, <laughs> which some of you can't do yet. So, sorry. <laughs> Medication helps. And people caring for me, but there's still, even today, I can tell when I'm about to go into a slide. And I don't, sometimes I just don't know why. Sometimes I thought maybe it's because my life is too good and I just need to be depressed for everybody else in the world. <laughs> I'll watch the news. That'll depress me. Then I'll, you know, that'll be good. I, I'm feeling too happy today. Then thirdly, uh, and this this really goes countercultural, and I just get almost go nuts, not totally, but with some of the commercials because they're just promising so much. It's like, who are you kidding? This this is a sales pitch. And, and so, here, here's the thing. This is going to sound totally different, maybe, than what you hear. Our expectations for life may be too high. Now, and I know we ought to, you know, all the do everything you can, be the best you can be, and so forth. So, I have to be careful here. Uh, I'm going to go off here. Is that okay? Uh, I'm not even watching the clock, which I, I tell Patrick to do. Oh, I shouldn't have let that out. That's not in the notes. I shouldn't have. Anyway. So, if he's hearing this, he'll, he'll say, you went over. So, uh, it, it bugs me that silver and bronze in the Olympics don't get much press. Does that bother you? I just think you could have trained for 10 or 15 years and you missed the gold by a hundredth of a second. And you'll never be on the Wheaties box. So, years ago, went to first started another church, and it was in 92, and the Olympics were on that year, Summer Olympics. And uh, I, I just got annoyed, and I kind of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push against this. So, I put up a sign on my desk that said, Go for the bronze. <laughs> you know, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the gold and silver. Go for the bronze. Maybe go for fourth. Uh, we ought to cheer those fourth place people, shouldn't we? I mean, top ten, whatever. Uh, so, so I had this sign on my desk, and a person comes in, on, you know, for some reason they, they say that, and they're just totally offended by it. You know, it's like, who, what kind of a preacher do we have that he'd say, go for the bronze? That is not, that's not very upbeat. That's not very encouraging, you know, and uh, I didn't care. <laughs> uh, not ever, all of us are going to win a Nobel Prize. Or a Super Bowl many times, or an Oscar, whatever. Most of us will not even get our names in the newspaper. Unless it's one of these small towns, then, you know, you will. You will if you get a tumbleweed against your doorbell. 
I know this. This is, I'm not making this up. We need to have a great reality check about what this world can and will give you. Michael Phelps, anybody know who that is? I don't want to even make you raise your hand. Olympic swimmer. swimmer. He was the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time. With a total of 28 medals, Philip Phelps holds the all-time record for Olympic gold medals, 23 Olympic gold medals in individual events, 13, and gold medals in individual events, 16. And you probably know he struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, I, 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 I don't like, don't like much like, well, I shouldn't say water because I do like showers, but so I don't want you to feel. <laughs> but I, I don't like deep water and I don't like swimming much because I can only dog paddle. But so, you know, I'd probably pick another event, but that to, for me, <clears throat> some of you, that would be the, can you imagine being the most decorated Olympian of all time? and being depressed. I mean, surely you can find another gig. That's, that's just, and, and there, there are stories after stories and people we could name again and again like that. And why is that? Now, I don't want to, I'm not trying to uh, pick on Phelps here because I don't know much about him. <clears throat> so, I'm not <clears throat> trying to necessarily put a spiritual application on him. But Augustine said, our souls are restless until they find rest in Thee. Only God, only God can heal and fill your soul. You could never do enough, accomplish enough to do that. Peggy Noonan, who's one of my favorite current uh, commentators about life, and uh, I have this whole quote up here, or parts of it anyway. She wrote this years ago, and I picked it up when I was depressed and trying to find answers. This again is cultural, countercultural. She wrote, <coughs> I think we've lost the old knowledge that happiness is overrated. Now, you may want to think about that. <laughs> I get to laugh at that. I think that's kind of funny. Happiness is overrated. That in a way, life is overrated. We have lost somehow a sense of mystery about ourselves, about our purpose, our meaning, our role. Our ancestors believed in two worlds and understand this to be the solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short one, where the first generation of people that actually seemed to find happy, expected to find happiness here on earth, and our search for it has caused such unhappiness. I actually think that maybe it began in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and certain by the time of the Enlightenment that we expect happiness. It's written into our Declaration of Dependence, right? We declare these truths self-evident among those who are the pursuit of life. Help me. 
liberty and the pursuit of happiness. She goes on, the reason if you do not believe in another higher world, you, if you believe only in the flat material world around you, if you believe that this world is your only shot at happiness, you are going to be more than disappointed when it doesn't deliver. And you will go to despair. Well, secondly, about all this, expectations for life. If you spend too much time comparing your life to others, you're going to be depressed. Right? Right? I mean, unless you just, you know, pay attention to the people that are struggling. (laughs) Uh, It's a no-win game. Quit comparing yourself to people who seem to have no problems and are perpetually happy and having one great experience after another. These people only exist in the movies and social media. Now, there might be someone out there, but I'm guessing it's about one in a hundred million, which means there would be three or four in the United States if you can find them. So, maybe. I don't know. Then thirdly, Accept the fact that God's goal for us in this life is not to be ridiculously happy, but to be holy, to know Him. Which leads to the last perspective, so what's the deal? What's the deal? In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, there are 107 questions and answers. I wonder how long, many questions and answers are in the longer one. The most famous question is the first. What is the chief end of people? And I can imagine little children learning this sort of thing. And the answer, a person's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, doesn't that simplify things? For me, that's just like, wow, okay, I can do that. Glorify God, enjoy God. And then I would add, bless others. Maybe that's in one of the other 106. Glorify God, enjoy Him, bless others. Can you say that with me? Glorify God, enjoy Him, bless others. That's the deal. That's the deal. This resonates with Scripture from Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Great question. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Really? In fact, my flesh, my heart may refer to the internal life. They may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As for me, it is, I would say, good enough to be near God, and I have made the Lord, Sovereign Lord, my refuge. About 30 years ago, I got, uh, did you know sometimes preachers can get crosswise with elders? Just a little hint for those of you out there. 
uh, in a supporting congregation that sent us to a faraway place. Uh, and it was, it was over, I won't go into the details, it was kind of boiled down to be over the way to treat people who had gotten into a real mess. And they thought my approach was too lenient. Uh, so we were at loggerheads and, and I asked them to release me from my contract and guess what? They did. <laughs> so, and it was a good thing actually for all of us. Uh, we were in Philadelphia at the time. It was in the fall. So, winter's coming. Kids are in school. I was fearful of the future. I imagined my family and I joined, and I, I get to horribleizing about things, you know, that they will get worse than they probably ever could be, but, you know, that's where I was. And I, I imagined my family and I joining the homeless people down at the local sub, subway station and never finding a church to preach at, at again. And, uh, and so I began to ask myself, I, for some reason I can't remember why I was work living out of this psalm, but what I did, I, I asked myself, is what the psalmist said, is that true for me? God is a strength in my heart forever. And I didn't allow myself to answer it too quickly. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't just say, well, it's true. Well, but is it true for me? And so I wrestled with that, and I, I, I you know, uh, I thought about what I might do. Uh, I can't work as a cashier at McDonald's because I can't hear what the people are saying. That that would be bad. So I could, you know, flip the, you know, grill the French fries. Of uh, good vocation, but not what I'd planned. And. Uh, I thought, could I, could I be happy doing this, that, for another 30 years till I die? Would it be enough? Is God enough? And I decided, yes, God's enough. It was a watershed. Whatever our emotional challenges, with whatever help we get, we must wrestle with whether God is enough. Really a question throughout Scripture, is God worth anything if He doesn't fix everything? Is God worth anything? Is, he, is God good for anything? What is God good for? Or is it enough that God is good? That's the question I want to leave us with this morning. Is God worthy of praise and worth knowing simply because He is good? That's what both the small and the great affirmed over and over again in Scripture. And at some point, maybe in cycles, we have to come to the point where we say, God is good. God is all I desire. I just hope we can all come to grips with that question and know our answer. And uh, I'm sort of retired now, so, you know, I'm available for coffee and talking. And I, I hope we are a people also who are gentle in our judgments. I love that phrase. I got it from somebody else. Gentle in our judgments towards those who have struggles that we ourselves do not have. Did you hear that? Yes. We are gentle in our judgments towards those who have struggles 
we do not have. And I hope we are a people who are a place of refuge and safety and grace for all who struggle in life. Because that's all of us. And the church said, Amen.